0: This podcast is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska. A place where real people need a real God to live in a real world. For more information, check out our website at communitycovenant.net. Put them to
1: Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Therefore, Even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father.
0: Uh, I want to go ahead and invite Brad and Roxy up here. And... uh... This is Brad and Roxy Bergfalk. Most of you have already had a chance of meeting Brad. Brad uh, arrived here early September uh, as our transitional lead pastor. And uh, and then he just left a few weeks ago, flew back down to Seattle. And uh, Roxy and Brad had the privilege of the adventure of driving back up here. And they just arrived on Monday, right? right yeah. And uh, Roxy, we kind of feel like we know you a little bit, especially from a video a few weeks ago. Uh, <laughs> right here. Yeah. And so... Totally. I- so, okay. Well, we're, glad, we're just glad you guys are here. And uh, in some ways, you may already feel like you've been welcomed, but really, in some ways, this is kind of an official way of just saying, we're glad you're here. And uh, what, a, you know, transitional pastor, that may sound kind of weird. I mean, it is, uh, Brad's role here is temporary, um, but it's extremely uh, significant, okay? As we transition, from um, a long-time lead pastor of 17 years, looking to who God will be calling uh, as the next lead pastor. This is not just about waiting for the next lead pastor, okay? It's about how do we transition, and and in the midst of that transition, how do we continue on in the mission that God has called us to? And we're just really glad that God has called you here, Brad, and and you alongside of him. And um, can I pray for you guys? Sure, uh, sure. Father, thank you so much for Brad and Roxy. Thank you that you have brought them here during this time, uh, into this place, Lord. Father, in particular, how uh, we pray that by your grace you would fill Brad with your spirit so that he can serve uh, out of your strength and out of your gifts? Father, would you just continue to just form his heart out of the growing, abiding reality of in reliance upon how much you love him, Father. Uh, Father, thank you for Roxy. Lord, we pray that she would experience tons of freedom just to be who you've called her to be. And Father, may we love them well, Lord. Uh, Father, thank you that you've called us as your church together to be your ambassadors in this world. May we show uh, the world around us, the community around us, uh, how much you love them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: So I got home a few weeks ago, and I was telling Roxy what a great church this is, what a great place this is to live. You know, we come from the Seattle area. It's beautiful there, but this is like over-the-top beautiful compared to that. And I'm I'm bragging to her about every time you turn around, you see animals. It's just incredible, you know, moose and so forth. And so uh, I said, when we drive up the, the, the Alaska Canadian Highway, we're going to see animals. People told us we're going to be stopped for hours because bison are there doing whatever bison do. And uh, so I was just getting her set for what I had already experienced. So uh, 2,400 miles, didn't see a single moose, didn't see a single bison, Saw four kind of scraggly elk. Saw a flock of white swans and a coyote. Oh, oh, wait, wait. We also saw a mounted doll sheep in one of the places that we stayed. And then in a restaurant, there was what? Was it a, a skinned or a mounted badger and a mounted something else? That was the extent. So she's, she's saying to me at this point when we get here, yeah, right. You're selling me a bill of goods. And I'm going, no, 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 really. And the first morning that we got up at, at our place out on uh, Eagle River Road, we're sitting at the, the breakfast table, and she practically jumps out of her, her seat, and she says, hey, look at that. And right across the window of our breakfast nook was the biggest moose I have ever seen. Yes. Anyway. What does that have to do with uh, the sermon today? Absolutely nothing. Um, you know, we're in a series of sermons about uh, what it means to, to share life together. And of course, sharing our lives together is sometimes easy and it's sometimes not easy. And today, one of the virtues of sharing our life together that I'd like for us to look at is the virtue of virtue. The virtue of virtue. Huh. Excuse me. The virtue of humility. That's what I meant to say. You know, humility is one of the most difficult uh, virtues to practice, at least for me. Maybe some of you have mastered it, and if you have, and if you want to come up and brag to me about it, you probably don't have it. You see what I'm saying? So it's one of these really hard virtues. There are many reasons that I think humility is one of the difficult virtues to practice, uh, but the primary reason, I think, is because it cuts against the grain of everything that our culture says uh, to us, In a a, a myriad of ways. In fact, our culture says to us, you deserve everything that you have and you shouldn't be afraid of letting others know it, right? That's what our culture says. If you're old enough, you remember those commercials that uh, McDonald's did at one point like back in the 80s, you deserve a break today. You know, everything is about us deserving what we have and I think it's really hard to get that message over and over and over again and at the same time try to live a humble life. It's really hard. Humility is often construed as weakness. Isn't that true? In the past few weeks, as the presidential candidates have been ramping up their attempts to win the White House or stay in the White House, uh, it's hard to to watch them and see humility, really. Now, I know that that the way the system is set up, it's hard to do that. I get that. But wouldn't it be refreshing? Wouldn't it be refreshing if one of them stood up and said something like this? Before I answer that question, I want to apologize to my opponent and his family for misrepresenting his character and his political positions during the course of this uh, campaign. In fact, from this moment on, I will engage in the campaign trying to highlight my distinctive qualifications for this job without tearing down or telling falsehoods about my opponent. I tell you what, if, if, if one of the, uh, the candidates did that, I'd vote for him because they're showing a level of humility that we don't see. Humility is not only scarce in our culture, Humility is also sometimes absent from the church. As pastors have success leading their congregations, as their congregations grow, as they put on additions, as the buzz gets out in the community of what a great church that is and what a great preacher is, it's easy for us to to, to think that it's something that we did. It's maybe our excellent sermons, or it's our timely wisdom, or it's our competent leadership. The truth of the matter is, if something good is going on in the church, it's because God is at work there. And it's not about us, the pastors, or our charismatic personality, or whether we're a skilled leader or not. And I, I wish I could say to you that I've always acted as if I believe that, what I just said. But I've sadly only come to understand that in the last, you know, 10 or so years of my life. But I'm glad I did. It takes a lot of pressure off, really, if you think about it. Humility is not only scarce in our culture, it's scarce in our churches sometimes. Humility is hard. Let's just be honest for a moment. Humility is demanding. Humility is essential if we want to discover how to live life together. Humility is a virtue that is not necessarily uh, something that you need if you live all by yourself in a cabin, in the woods someplace. But the moment you encounter another human being, you and I are put in a position where we have to choose to practice humility. And since our theme this morning is about life together, and, and I'm trying to sort of push the boundaries of our comfort when it comes to how, how we relate to one another, uh, it's good for us to listen to this very familiar passage that was read for us this morning from Philippians chapter two, because I think it gives us a context of why humility is an important aspect of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, especially if we really are interested in living life together. Now, I know that uh, Pastor Keith uh, preached a couple of weeks ago uh, and he zeroed in on the same passage of Scripture. I won't I won't take a show of hands to ask how many of you remembered that this was the same passage, but you, some of you may have. And um, I'm going to be preaching from the passage as well, from a little different point of view. And while you know the general context of, of Paul's admonition in this passage from Philippians uh, contains advice about selfishness and some other things that we've already heard from Pastor Keith, it also gives some pretty specific advice to us about how we lead a life of humility. So, if I repeat anything that Pastor Keith has already said, consider the possibility that God may be trying to reinforce something here. Maybe. Or, if I directly contradict something that Pastor Keith already said a couple of weeks ago, then he's probably right, and you can just ignore what I say. Okay. So, Paul's instruction to the Philippians about humility must always be understood in the context of the larger passage of Scripture. I know that you know this because I know that your previous pastor was really concerned about that and so am I. But so as we look as we step back and we look at this text, these eleven verses, and maybe even consider a few verses back in chapter one, we, we get a picture here of why humility is so important in the life of the of the community of faith. And in order for us really to understand what it means to be humble, we must remember this. That Paul, for Paul, humility is always rooted in the character of Christ. It's always rooted in the character of Christ. We can see this at the very closing uh, verses of chapter 1. What Paul says is this, and we we didn't read this today, so I'm going to read it for you really quickly. Whatever happens, Paul says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. You see, for Paul... The reason why humility is an important characteristic of life together, it goes back to the character of the gospel. Jesus didn't come into the world to to coerce people to accept his message. Did you ever see him strong-arming anybody to follow him? No. Jesus didn't force people with the threat of violence to accept the Christian worldview. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus simply entered into people's lives right where they were and eventually after he formed relationships with them, invited them, invited them to follow him. You see, the gospel was being lived out before their very eyes in the person of Jesus. And it was the character of this gospel that was life transforming for those who believed. What Paul is suggesting here is this. When we adopt a posture of humility in our relationships with one another, as we attempt to do life together, whatever that might look like, we are exhibiting the very character of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by our humility, we present a picture a, a beautiful picture of the kingdom that is that is attractive and that is inviting and that is whimsical and it's something worth dedicating our lives to. Well, this past couple of weeks I spent the better part of five days driving here from Seattle with my wife, as you know. And prior to that, we took care of a few. Kind of household items, and we got to see our two boys for the very last time for until christmas now and um, so we said our, we said our goodbyes and we hit the road, uh, traveling north and um, you know it's kind of one of those happy, sad kind of deals you, you know what i 'm talking about. We were excited about the possibility of uh, coming to Alaska, but it 's not often that you, you know you see your your senior high boy waving at you in the rearview mirror. It doesn't happen that way much. But when I was down in Seattle, I, I, there's a certain uh, character to life in Seattle, and I may have alluded to this in the past, but it's really fast-paced, and it's, it's kind of aggressive, sort of in a REI sort of way, if you know what I mean, you know? <laughs> it's not aggressive like New York City, but don't kid yourself. People in the Pacific Northwest are smart, and they know what they want, and they know how to get what they want, and, you know, you you get it, you get it. And and when I'm in that culture, you know, I can feel it beginning to influence how I interact. Surprise, surprise. In fact, if you want to get things done, sometimes you have to swim with those sharks, right? And what happens to me is I love to swim with the sharks. I love it. I love to take them on. I love to, you know, you have to be aggressive sometimes, And if you want aggressive, I can give you aggressive. That might surprise you, but it's true. If you want results, I can give you results. They might not be the best results, but I can give them to you. And as we drove north out of Seattle, uh, through British Columbia, which is beautiful, and then into the Yukon Territory, which is equally beautiful, I could feel the culture around me was changing significantly. And I could feel kind of the air being released from that that intense Kind of culture. And, and we stopped at a, a, little place, I think it was called Talbot Arms, uh, Hotel in Destruction Bay. Anybody been there? Uh, yeah, okay. Like, yeah, you're all smiling because you're going, yeah, I've been there. So we, 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 uh, filled up with gas and we said, hey, let's eat here. So we went in, sat down, and the waitress, you know, looked busy, and she kind of walked by us two, three times, and like a half hour went by. Now, you gotta remember what I just told you about myself. I've just come out of Seattle. You know, serve me fast so I can get on the road. And finally, she comes up and she says, "Oh, um, did I not give you your check yet?" And I said, "Check. You haven't given us a you haven't given us a menu yet." Oh, I'm so sorry. So this this really quick lunch that we were gonna have took us about an hour and a half. And, you know, it, 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 my my wife was sitting there and I knew she was sitting there thinking, Brad, you're going you're gonna to pop a cork here in a second. And and the only thing that kept us there, by the way, was the fact that the next place to eat lunch was like a three-hour drive. So, you know, I didn't have any choice. But as time went on during that trip, I felt myself sort of relaxing and, and backing off that kind of intense aggressive culture, and, and, and I think that uh, living up here will help cure me of that. I hope it does. If you see it in me, uh, I'll apologize in advance, but uh, there's a sense of, there's a certain lack of humility in that kind of aggressiveness, and I recognize that, and, I, and I'm glad to leave that in Seattle. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'll pay you later for that. <laughs> The first thing we need to remember about humility is that it is rooted in the character of Jesus Christ. And when we fail to exhibit this kind of character of humility in our lives, we are ultimately misrepresenting the gospel and the kingdom, whether we know it or not. We don't want to do that. Humility is not over only rooted in the character of Jesus. In verse 3, Paul says humility actually sees the world differently than the way the rest of the world sees. Paul says it like this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That's what Pastor Keith preached about. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Humility, then, is the recognition that we aren't the only people in the world who God cares about. I know this is hard for some folks to get their head around. And if you have teenagers, I know you live with that on a daily basis. But for Paul, the point is that life together doesn't work when the only person on our radar is us. And it isn't until we look up and we begin to look around, and we begin to see others whom God loves as much as He loves us, that we can begin to understand the character of humility that Paul is talking about. It's been a long time, but I love that stage, and some of you are in this stage, I know, when you have an infant child, and where they're just beginning to recognize that they have appendages. Do you remember that? Do you remember when your kids were really small, you know, maybe only weeks or months home from the hospital, maybe weeks? And th- for them, their world involves their mother's face and whatever bodily function they have mastered at that point. And uh, they, they lay around and they coo and they laugh and they experience the love of their mom and their dad. And then something strange waves in front of their face. And, and, and do you remember how startled they are? The first time they see this strange thing kind of waving in front of their face, and they have this look of fear on their face because they've never seen that before. They've never noticed it before. And then eventually they forget, right? They forget and they go back to cooing and smiling and looking at the, uh, into the face of their loving parent. And then all of a sudden it happens again, and they get terrified. And eventually, they figure out that this thing that keeps waving in front of their face is attached to, the, to their body. And, these, and these, uh, these spindly things at the end of this appendage, these things come in handy for lots of things. Like you, you can pick stuff up with it, and you can stick them in your, in your mouth. You know, it's great. Sometimes followers of Jesus can't see beyond the narrow vision of the world where they are the center of the universe, just like an infant. And what Paul is suggesting is that until we're able to look around and see that there are others who are part of God's grand plan for the kingdom, then we are missing a key component of humility that is necessary to live life together. And Paul doesn't stop there. He keeps pushing forward. He, he he pushes this idea of humility even a little further by suggesting that true humility not only sees that there are others who God loves in the world, but that our job is to put our interests behind theirs. To use a musical analogy which you've all used, I'm sure, or heard, we must learn how to play second if we want to do life together. The best hothouse for learning how to put others' interests ahead of our own is where? Our house, your house, the family. Rashi and I are at the stage of our lives where we've spent the last 23 some odd years uh, raising our kids. And uh, in order to get ready for this, uh, we were... Young and single and filled with ambition a long time ago. And we decided one day on a lark that we were going to get a dog. And that would be good practice for us to learn how to put something else in front of us. Right. And so we got a dog. He was a white Samoyed. You know, there's another connection to Alaska here. So I I haven't figured it out, but it was a white Samoyed. And, And of course, whenever the dog barked, Roxy would say, hey, Brad, the dog's barking. And I'd say, yeah, isn't that interesting? What do you think it wants? Anyway, we had to we had to feed it, we had to take it for walks because we lived in a city. And anyway, it was a good practice for us to discover that we weren't the most important thing in our lives, as as we were planning children. Now I, I joke about this, but as we had children, our first uh, daughter was born, and all of a sudden it was uh, I was no longer the first place in Roxy's life. And this is I'm not complaining about this. This is the way it is. Um, but I was second behind this beautiful little girl. And the dog was still behind me, luckily. Uh. (laughs) And then we had a second child and now I was third. And then we had a third child and now I was fourth. And it was just me and the dog, really, for a long time until he died. My point is this. If we want to do life together, we may not always be the top dog. There we go. We may have to settle for second place sometimes, or third place, and that's okay. The reason for this is simple. There's not enough room in the web of human relations for uh, relationships for all of us to occupy the most important place. And moreover, since humility is a fundamental character of the gospel, adopting this kind of posture of being second fiddle elevates others into that place of honor and distinction. And we learn that that's okay. Well, if you've been tracking with me up until this point, you may be finding yourself saying this morning, yeah, I understand why humility is so important. I you know, I get that. I'm not very good at it. You might be saying, but, you know, it's just not really one of those priorities on my life right now. I've got other more important things that I need to pay attention to, and humility is not one of them. Now, the problem with this kind of thinking is that if we don't get to the place where we begin to exhibit some kind of humility, it'll probably never happen. Or it will be forced on us by our circumstances. And believe me, let me assure you, we will not like that. You see, we don't wake up some morning and and begin to see the world through the lens of humility. Humility. On the contrary, humility is hard to achieve. Humility is elusive. Humility requires trial and error and mostly error. Paul recognizes this, and he concludes in his description of humility that it is a necessary part of of doing life together by giving us an example. And the example that he gives us in the text is the example of Jesus As if to say, as if Paul is saying to us, if you don't buy this humility thing, let me frame it for you in a way that helps you understand that the gospel stands or falls in part on this issue of humility. So at verse five, Paul begins to paint this wonderful picture of humility as it was exhibited by Jesus himself. He suggests that if we want to know what humility looks like, all we have to do is look into the face and the actions of Jesus. And if we want to see humility in action, then take the same attitude that Jesus took. Who? Being the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made Himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of a man. He humbled himself, and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is the picture of humility that Paul is talking about. Jesus had every right to claim and flout uh, His his Godhead. He was of divine origin, after all. Jesus, of all people, could have tooted His own horn, but He didn't. Jesus was at the table when God was working out the details of creation, but it didn't dissuade Him from putting on humility and becoming nothing. And for what purpose? this is my favorite part of this text, so that by his very obedience, he could fulfill his father's desires and be the way of salvation for you and for me. Humility wasn't just one choice among many that Jesus had to choose. It was the only way that God's plan for salvation could be resolved once and for all. And had had Jesus decided not to humble himself, even to death on a cross, then I would have no business standing up before you today talking about this, because I'd have nothing to say. But this incredible... This incredible act of humility not only illustrated the character of God's kingdom, but it made it possible for each and every one of us sitting here this morning to experience the salvation that resulted from this incredible act of obedience. Do you hear what I'm saying? Scholars refer to this passage as the kenosis, the the self-emptying. And I guess if I were to pull all the strands of my sermon to this point into a sharp point, I can't think of a better way to do it than this. The reason why humility is a necessary component of our life together is because it points to the very self-emptying Jesus that makes our life worthwhile to begin with. Humility is a form of self-emptying that the more we embrace it, the more Jesus is made visible in us. Let me say that again. Humility is a form of self-emptying, that the more we embrace it, the more Jesus is made visible in us. So how do we begin this journey toward humility? Wherever we might find ourselves on the path. Maybe we're... Right now, feeling pretty humble, and, and, but we still have a ways to go. Or maybe we've never even thought about humility before. Maybe this is a new idea for you. How, how do we move closer to the kind of humility that we see modeled by our Lord and Savior Jesus? Let me offer you four uh, practical words of advice. Number one, recognize that the path of humility is a lifelong path. We will have good days, and if you're like me, you'll have bad days. Sometimes the character of Jesus will be very evident in the choices that we make, and sometimes he won't. But don't get discouraged. Don't give up. Press on. Continue to lean into this character of humility whenever and wherever you can. Two Every encounter is not a win-lose proposition. I I put that one in there for myself. Every encounter is not a win-lose proposition. If humility is taking the back seat once in a while, it's okay. We don't always have to have the last word. We don't always have to have the right answer. Those of you who are teenagers, are you hearing me? We don't always have to be the final decision maker. In fact, when we begin to allow others to see that we don't always have to be the last person, they'll notice that there's something different about us. Three, humility is a byproduct of a life that is bathed in the life of Jesus. Don't focus on humility. Focus on Jesus. And You can't create humility out of nothing. You can't manufacture it. You can't buy it on Craigslist. But humility shows up when we are so intent on following Jesus that our lives increasingly reflect the character of, guess who? Jesus. Humility is a byproduct of a life that's bathed in Jesus. Four, humility is not a sign of weakness, but a sign of strength. And there might be some implications for how we engage other countries on a political, geopolitical um, realm as well. I'm not going to get into it, but I just thought of that. It's not a sign of weakness; it's a sign of strength. Our, it's counterintuitive if you think about it. Those who embody humility in their relationships are some of the strongest people that I know. They don't need to prove anything to anybody. They don't require others to acknowledge their strength and status. By adopting a life and a posture of humility, they have grown deeper in Christ and they exhibit a level of strength that can only come from that divine source. Humility is not a sign of weakness, but a sign of strength. Community, Covenant Church, if we want to do life together, then let us strive to follow the example of Jesus, who though he was the very nature of God, didn't consider equality something to hold on to, but instead he humbled himself, taking on the form of a servant and becoming obedient even unto death, death on a cross. And then Paul concludes this passage by saying this, and so will I conclude my sermon after this. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God of God. Do you know what would happen if our congregation began to exhibit this kind of humility? Our community, our state, and the world would see that and they would worship Jesus and not us. Let's pray. We want to embody this characteristic in our lives, oh God. And you know how far we are from that in a variety of ways. You know about the, sh- the harsh words we spoke to our spouse this morning. You know about the, the games that we have played in our job with our fellow co-workers that are anything but uh, re- reflections of our humility. You know, you know, you know. Please help us, encourage us, and guide us into this kind of life so that Jesus might be seen in us in everything that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.